right. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing. It's Thursday, April 28th, and it's episode 176. I'm Phil Brandt. With me, as always, is your friend and mine, co-host Bert Garland, shareholder with Ogletree Deacons. And it is our goal to keep you informed so you can more effectively lead your organization. Today, we got lots to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, Immunization Liability Act that's uh, in the system here in uh, Missouri that I think everyone should know uh, about regardless to where you sit. Uh, we also have um, the U.S. is saying it's out of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's not out of the COVID pandemic. I'm not sure our government is aligned in its position on what phase of the pandemic we are in. I want to talk a little bit about that. We also have more union activity, this time at a Red Wings shoe uh, manufacturing facility. And OSHA has made a ruling in the Amazon warehouse uh, in Edwardsville, Illinois, and it definitely pertains to uh, what we should be doing as leaders as it relates to emergency evacuation routes and practice drills and those types of things that I know we all do, but we should pay attention to what they're suggesting uh, their uh, investigation has uh, uncovered. So with that, uh, Bert, let's start with um, the Immunization Act that is in the courts or in the legal system here in Missouri. And what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so it's really uh, quite an interesting bill. Uh, it really does kind of flush uh, the, the state uh, politicians out on where they stand on certain things. So the Missouri House, uh, just in the last uh, couple of days, uh, passed a piece of legislation. They very narrowly passed that piece of legislation that would allow workers, allow employees to sue their employers over vaccine rules. In other words, if the employer forces the employee to get a vaccination, and then under this bill, uh, they have side effects from the vaccination. If they have bodily injuries or claims for disease, uh, related to the vaccine, they then can turn around and sue their employer for those, uh, those reactions. Mm -hmm. The CDC, of course, says severe reactions to COVID-19 vaccines are rare, but they do acknowledge that they occur. There's anaphylaxis, uh, there's other severe allergic reactions, and also uh, even though the CDC really ha has minimized it, there, there seems to be some sort of uh, uh, tie to myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, uh, really among younger males who received the COVID-19 shot. And so, again, this bill basically allows employees who suffer those conditions after they get vaccinated uh, to go back and sue their employer for the, for forcing them to get vaccinated if they suffer these injuries. Really kind of an astounding bill. And, what and I'm really surprised for that to be in Missouri, which is, you know, a lot of red in Missouri and wanting to be a state that's more, um, more aligned with bringing industry and business into the state. And this does not align with that philosophy in my mind. I know there were several Republicans that were against it, um, but as you said, it was narrow. It just seems philosophically different um, position for our state. Well, it, it, it does and it doesn't, but you, you nailed the issue on the, on, on the head, of course. And 
it does seem contrary to business interest because yet it's providing people another avenue to sue business. But what the, what the policy goal behind this piece of legislation is, is to basically tell employers, you should get out of the game of telling your employees what to do with their own personal health. And that's really what the policy goal is. So it's, it, you know, from a Republican standpoint, there are some competing goals there. And it's just for these uh, state representatives to decide which of these goals is more important. And so I think what it's doing, again, it's, it's kind of like uh, some of the rules and mandates that we followed all along during COVID that employers didn't know what to do as far as vaccination and masking and all of that. And when the government comes out and says, you must do this, it takes the pressure off of employers somewhat because now employers say, well, we have to do this. We have to social distance. We have to shut down. We have to force mask wearing because the government tells us to do so. Well, now what the Missouri legislature, the, the at least the House is trying to say is that we are going to take the pressure off of you employers by telling you that if you force your employees to get vaccinated, you could be liable. So therefore, don't force your employees to get vaccinated. So again, that's yeah. what the competing goals are. I, I can see that angle uh, in it. Um, and this brings just a lot of questions to mind. And I think it applies uh, in our neighboring states, definitely throughout the Midwest, where most of our listeners come from, should be paying attention to this. But I know it also covers immunizations beyond COVID. I think it covers any or all that employers might require. It does. And that's one of the knocks against this bill is it's not just for COVID. But again, getting to that policy goal that some of the Republicans have advanced as they have advanced this bill, they're saying, again, employers stay out of the business of telling your employees whether they need to get vaccinated against anything or not. The other knock on this, particularly from the Democrats, is that uh, this bill is unnecessary because there's already a mechanism that exists in the state for employees to sue, uh, well, to recover against their employers for workplace injuries, and that's workers' compensation. And so uh, the Democrats are flat out saying if your employer tells you to get vaccinated and you suffer adverse reactions uh, to the vaccination, you have an avenue and that is to go ahead and file workers' compensation claim. I don't think it's nearly that simple uh, because I think that uh, I'm not so sure workers' compensation would actually cover that because it's not a workplace injury. Uh, the vaccination is would be an injury because of the vaccination. I understand the leap that they're trying to make because your employer told you to get vaccinated. It becomes a workplace injury. I'm just not so sure work comp would, would agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I can understand that. Now, on the other side of that, had I worked for an employer that required it and I went along with the requirement because I wanted to continue to provide um, I, and, and I had an adverse reaction, I definitely would want some form of recourse, whether that is workers' comp or you know a suit in some way. Uh, I do feel that um, I probably would want that uh, as a recourse too. So I can see both sides on this one uh, pretty easy. I'm just looking at it from a policy and, and an attractiveness to making the state more attractive. Uh, but I can see where many other 
states may follow a similar path um, if they haven't already taken a position. And I think that's why I want to make sure we bring this up to our listening audience across the Midwest. Yeah, and I think certainly our listeners from Indiana would be wise to pay attention to this. Our listeners in Illinois probably don't need to worry too much about this, uh, but, but certainly this is something that, that people should generally pay attention to. Right, so that, that brings us to our poll question for today, and that question is, do you agree with the required Immunization Liability Act, and should it be passed in legislation? Um, I, I'm okay if you are in another state and you still want to answer that question. I'm not asking only our Missouri listeners to uh, answer that question, but the question again is, do you agree with the required Immunization Liability Act and should it be passed? Would love just to get your opinion as it relates to uh, um, our laws and, and the workplace rules that we're going to have to follow. Um, okay, Bert, staying on on topic with COVID for just another minute, let's just chat a little bit about whether we are in or out of the pandemic, according to Fauci and our, I guess, our national government. And maybe everyone's not on the same page. That surprises me, I'm sure. It surprises you. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Phil. And, and maybe some people themselves are not necessarily on the same page with this. Nick, I think you have a couple uh, video clips to roll for our audience, if you don't mind rolling those. This is, uh, the first one is a video from uh, this past Tuesday. We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. All right, so that's the uh, first video clip there that uh, Nick has rolled. Again, this was from Tuesday. And uh, right on the heels of that, uh, Nick, can you roll the second video clip that came out yesterday? He explained his comments, saying the coronavirus is under better control in the U.S., but the pandemic isn't over. He adds, rather, we are in a different moment of the pandemic. All right. I'd, so, I'd love to get your take on that, Bert. Well, I mean, you've got Fauci on Tuesday saying that we are out of the pandemic phase. And then yesterday, walking back that comment and saying we are in a different uh, stage of the pandemic. Uh, okay. Two comments that are very inconsistent. Yesterday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki also walked back Fauci's comments saying the pandemic definitely is not over, but we are moving into a different stage of the pandemic versus moving out of the pandemic phase. So you don't think little, he got a phone call from someone and said, wait one minute, You're, we're, we're not out of this yet. Correct. I think it's a little bit of semantics that maybe he misspoke, but uh, it does seem very inconsistent. Uh, there are a lot of people around the country who took his comments on uh, on Tuesday and basically said COVID is done and right. people are really walking back the comment. He did come out and say that he's not going to be attending the White House press correspondence dinner this week because of concerns about COVID whereas uh, President Biden will be attending the press correspondence uh, dinner this, this week. So again, just some inconsistency from the administration. And I think what's really interesting though about this is we're only about three months past the Supreme Court ruling on the OSHA ETS. Remember the OSHA ETS was going to force all employees of employers with a hundred or more employees to get vaccinated. 
And we're also, uh, we also just got a ruling uh, last week on eliminating masks for federal transit. And the administration is appealing that decision. And yet you have Fauci coming out and saying on Tuesday that the pandemic is, is we're out of the pandemic phase, but even walking it back saying, uh, walking back that comment saying that we're in a different stage of the pandemic. Right. It's just interesting that within the last uh, couple of days and within the last couple of months, we were going the complete other direction of trying to force basically the entire population to get vaccinated, whether or not they wanted to. Yeah, and I recognize things things change quickly. I, I think yeah. of how quickly we went into the pandemic and it was serious and we had lots of things to deal with. But when you think back in January, when OSHA made their ruling, to your point, you wrap this thing together. I mean, there was a lot of hint up, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have to force everyone because the government's gonna require it to get vaccinated. And here today, we can't even decide just a couple months later, are we, are we not in the pandemic? We do have to have masks. Um, we don't have to have masks. Wait, we're gonna, we're gonna sue to, to try and make masks more of a, it just, I, to me, it's just astonishing the, the shuffle that's occurring. Um, and I, I'm confused as to why there's so much shuffle. Um, everyone has to make up their own position on that. Right now, 65% of the survey respondents are saying, no, they do not agree. I find that to be an interesting number. So uh, please continue to present your uh, results on that. I'd like to, to get a larger pool of opinion on that as we move forward. All right, Bert, let's move the topic off of COVID a little bit because I kind of feel like it's, it's time to move on unless there is really more significant news to talk about. You and I have chatted about uh, unions the last couple of episodes. I bring this up because it continues to be in the news, and I know um, that it is seen as payday for some of our um, some of the unions out there as it relates to the government, and they're going to try and squeeze what they can while they have control of things. Um, but Red Wing Shoes in Potosi, uh, Missouri, has filed petition for election. I believe there's 200 and something manufacturing workers there. It's not, you know, a store of 15 or 20 employees at a Starbucks. Um, and their issues seem to be not uncommon issues of most campaigns I've been involved with, overtime, required overtime, wages and benefits, of course. Um, and they're pointing to other locations that have, in their opinion, better wages, better benefits that are unionized. Common theme in union campaigns, I think you would agree with that. Yeah, it, those are definitely common themes in uh, campaigns. I, I will tell you that as a firm, if me, my practice personally, I'm seeing uh, these issues during the, the campaigns currently really centering mostly around forced overtime. Yeah. Um, and that has to do directly with the lack of employees that are in the workforce right now. Most employers, I did a talk yesterday uh, down in South, uh, Southeast Missouri in front of a group of about 120 people and one of the questions I asked is, can you just show me by, by raising your hand if your organization is facing staffing problems, facing hiring problems? And I'll tell you, there were probably over 90% of the folks in the room who raised their hands. 
And so what that means is, is that the employees who are showing up to work are overworked. And everybody who's been listening to these broadcasts know that I was involved in a four-month campaign, uh, three to four-month campaign in uh, northern Arkansas, just south of the Missouri border that wrapped up in December. Forced overtime was the number one issue uh, in that campaign. And what we see is, is that while wages and benefits usually are some of the issues in a campaign, they are toward the bottom of the top 10. Usually the main issue in a campaign relates to supervision. That's usually the number one issue mm -hmm. during a union organizing campaign. Uh, forced overtime is not necessarily one of the top issues. It would maybe fall into the lower tier of, of main issues from the standpoint of, of how it relates to wages or compensation. But forced overtime these days is, in my opinion, turning into the number one reason for organizing. Employees don't like it. They don't like the unpredictability of the forced overtime. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of employees who love overtime. They love the extra wages. What they don't like is the forced overtime and the unpredictability of that. Yeah, and that uh, I can think of the campaigns that I've been involved with and it, um, when it was about forced overtime, uh, it was really during times when it was hard to hire hire people and or coworkers were creating problems by not having good attendance. Yep. And that was resulting also in forced overtime. Um, it's not uh, that management wanted to have forced overtime um, from a wage control standpoint. Yeah, uh, for there, sure. There is, there's a point when it makes sense and there's a point when it doesn't. And I've never had a management team doing it um, from a a pure financial standpoint. It was always due to people didn't show up and I can't leave the equipment unattended or, you know, trucks had to go out and therefore, you know, you really don't get to leave until you're tapped on the shoulder. And that does create a problem. I wouldn't like it. Um, yeah. And I, and I think looking at that for our listeners, being aware, what percent of overtime are you working? Not just on average, but where are your, your peaks, where are your spikes of overtime who's working it and being aligned with, are they the overtime, I'll call them the overtime hogs that like it and they're never going to complain and they need it to live? Or are they the people who have families and they're upset because they're missing ball games because of overtime? And if so, be very, very attentive to, to, to that scenario um, and find a way around it. Because the last thing you want is a union organizing attempt that leads to, oh, now we'll find a way around it. And it looks like you're reacting to the union and that gives strength to their cause. Yeah, and so that was the central issue in that campaign I dealt with that wrapped up on, on December 28th. It was that forced overtime and people not liking the unpredictability of it. They had other responsibilities. They had childcare responsibilities. They wanted to be there for their, uh, for their kids' ball games or dance recitals. They had parent responsibilities that they needed to take care of parents. It really impacted people and they were very upset about the constant forced overtime. And you know, there's also the groups of employees where you, you've got some employees who are really some of your best and most loyal employees and they're going to work that forced overtime. They're not going to call off. They're not going to. They're not going to find an excuse not to work the forced overtime. They get resentful at the fact that you've got a group of other employees who always seem to get out of the overtime, and it creates that unfairness 
And they believe that a union, if they bring a union in, that there'll be more order and more fairness to how overtime is assigned. They know that they're not gonna get out of overtime if a union comes in, but they, uh, they, they feel that there will be more fairness and order if a union comes in. That, yeah, that's right. And, and I can tell you in the campaigns that have been successful and then you negotiate the contract following it, um, just as many people were unhappy with the new standard, um, you know, post-election as they were pre-election. And that, there, it, it's a no-win. I've not worked anywhere where everyone loves the policy on overtime, whether it's mandatory or not, or forced or not, depending on what you refer to it. But it is something for our listeners to be aware of in today's time, particularly as it relates to staffing shortages and absenteeism. You know, both being high, that creates, you know, an undue burden on businesses that you cause us to react with mandatory overtime sometimes. Well, and, and let's also, it's probably worth pointing out the sort of the history behind overtime. That was something that was really created by the unions, the higher rate of pay for overtime. Mm-hmm. And what it was designed to do, the policy goal behind the government uh, adopting this mechanism was it was designed to force employers uh, to do one of two things, either not to schedule or work the employees overtime, or if they do have to work them overtime to pay them a higher rate of pay. Now, what's happened over time is that it's actually become, well, and so let me also step back and say that by by forcing employers to pay more for overtime, it was also designed to tell employers, hey, stop forcing all these employers, employees to work so much overtime, just hire additional employees, expand the workforce. You can pay somebody, you know, one times per hour versus paying them one and a half if you just hire more employees. That was kind of the policy goal to expand the workforce. Well, over time, what's happened to that policy goal? It's actually cheaper in many instances to work the employee the overtime because you don't have all of the other uh, things that go along with hiring a new employee, such as health insurance uh, and other benefits that you have to pay. You're already paying that for the one employee that you have there. And so it may be less expensive to pay the overtime than to just hire a new employee and have to pay all those benefits. Right. It's interesting what's happened with that over, over time. Over and, that, and that's time. if you can, and over time. Yeah, not overtime pay. Um, And that's if you can hire the people. Well, and that's the biggest problem right now is that we cannot, employers cannot hire the people. I put a statistic up yesterday uh, that was updated through uh, this week, through uh, uh, Tuesday of this week. And that statistic shows that the workforce right now compared to pre-COVID is still down. The labor participation rate is still down over a full percentage point from pre-COVID. And while that may not sound like that much, when you're talking about 62 and a half million people uh, and you say we're down a full percentage point, Phil, do the math for me on that. That means we're down. Yeah, that's a lot of people. I'm not doing math online and people can laugh at me, Bert. Thank you for that. But that's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people. About 6 million people. Yeah. Um, Well, the so, so we're down a lot of people and what that very importantly, what that labor participation rate does not take into account 
is the people who have simply dropped out of the workforce. And yeah. we've mentioned before the, the great resignation. There are a lot of statistics out there that show that somewhere between six, I'm sorry, five and seven and a half million people dropped out of the workforce entirely during COVID. And mm -hmm. so that's where that number really comes in that, that, that is impacting employers right now on their ability to hire or their and inability. And I say this to every group uh, that I talk to, people that have been in front of me a couple of times have heard it. It's not new news. It's not going to get easier. I tell employers all the time, when you look at the available workforce, you look at um, you know, what is in front of us, other than a major recession, recruiting doesn't get easier. And no. if we think this day here is hard, this is what we're in for. So we have to change our strategy if our current process isn't working for us. That is hard for businesses to get their head around, but it isn't going to get easier. Um, and wage inflation is definitely upon us. And that's complicating it even more so, making it less competitive for businesses. Not only are they down in uh, staffing and their productivity is down, but they're also down um, in their competitiveness because of either having to do price increases to pay for uh, inflated wages or new strategies. And it's really starting to snowball. Um, and that's the scary part that leads into what people are predicting, maybe next year, a recession. But it's going to have to be a deep recession in order to bring our numbers back up to where we're hiring the employable. Well, in, in this competitiveness issue you brought up, I think is really important to talk about. There are certain industries that are in an absolute panic right now. And in particular, uh, industries that relate to child care and elder care. Yeah. Um, it used to be that those were considered to be the higher paying jobs for people who may not have uh, uh, higher, higher levels of education. It was a much better alternative to go and work in one of those industries versus going and getting a job, for instance, in a fast food industry or uh, as, as, a, as a cleaner or something like that. Well, with the pressure on wages, uh, the cleaners' jobs have, have picked up, the, the, the compensation in those industries has increased pretty much, fast food has increased pretty much uh, in people who were saying, I'm spending my time in childcare or elder care, that's a hard job. That oh, is a is. really hard job. And I'm not saying that cleaning isn't hard or working in a fast food restaurant isn't hard, but comparatively taking care of children uh, or taking care of the elderly is a significantly more challenging job. And th these folks are saying to themselves, why in the heck would I wanna spend my time uh, taking care of, of little children or uh, taking care of elderly when I can do a much easier job and, and not have to do, uh, not have to contend with a lot of things that go along with those harder jobs. And I'm yeah. gonna get paid the same or more. And so those industries right now literally are in an absolute panic. Yeah, I'm only laughing because I could, as you're talking and you're saying, why do I wanna take care of little children? I can hear my wife talking to me like I was a little child, like I'm behaving like a little child anyway. Um, we digress. Uh, we've got several comments here, but I first want to just say that we have 71% are saying no, they don't agree with uh, the legislation. Uh, of course, our friend Dave, I, I love you, Dave. Uh, his, more, his comment, I like it, is just more grandstanding by, the, by Missouri's Red House. 
Um, I, I love our, our ongoing uh, debate and comments with Dave. Keep them coming, Dave. And then Deborah doesn't feel there needs to be any legislation. Let workers comp handle it. I think that's an opinion of many people, but not all. Obviously, Dave likes it. Um, and we welcome all kinds here, Dave, even you. Um, all right. So let's also last couple minutes here, Bert, or last minute. Uh, I just want to announce uh, and say thank you to you and Ogletree. You all uh, donated a table uh, to the AIM Leadership Conference, which is just six days away. Um, with your table, I've added two more tables. I opened up 20 more seats. Um, and at that point, I'm at absolute compa um, max capacity. Uh, so yesterday, we added 21 or 20 more seats just to help uh, the the interest um, that we were getting and we can squeeze some tables in. When those are done, then the seats are gone and there's nothing more I can do that won't let us put any more in the room. So if you are interested in attending the leadership conference, Kenny Arnoff, you saw his pre-roll, Kathy Mazzarella, uh, CEO and uh, President of Graybar, Mark Lee, Senior Vice President in New Market Growth for MyTech, plus 10 other breakout sessions. Um, we're going to be about 500 people in total at the conference. It's going to be a great day, a lot of fun. Rock and roll uh, is the theme. And afterwards, a happy hour with some great rock and roll music. And on the drums will be Kenny Arnoff himself uh, throughout the day. So please, um, if you're interested, join us. Rock and roll and leadership are like this. Uh, when you hear Kenny's story, it all makes sense. So I'd love for you to join us on that day and have some fun. Uh, other than that, Bert, I think we are up against the nine o'clock hour. Uh, thank you for your time today, Producer Nick. Thank you very much. We will be back on air next Thursday, 730 Central Standard Time. Bye-bye. Tell your story. Promote your products. Communicate with your employees and customers vividly dynamically, and powerfully. Whether it's a company video, recruitment video, online training, or live meeting, Feature Group can help you from scripting to highly polished finished production. Whether it's live or on demand, we have the skills and equipment to wow your audience and drive your message home. Feature Group USA, the one-stop shop for all your broadcasting needs.